0: Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best GMs and DMs on this plane of existence. To help support the show, check out my link tree or show notes for my affiliate links. Also, if you're a content creator ready to take the next step in your journey, check out Episodify.com. They'll help produce and edit any content you're creating, whether it's audio or video, short form, long form, they do it all. Now let's jump into this episode's guest intro. Will and Brian have been making the Dungeon Cast for almost seven years now. Their love of chatting about D&D lore and rules, etc., at work, led them to deciding to record their chats for the internet to listen in on. They've also created amazing actual plays and are working on fulfilling their first Kickstarter project, Star Seeker's Guide to Dragon Star. Enjoy!
1: Hi, my name is Brian. I'm one of the hosts of the Dungeon Cast, and my tabletop role playing game history goes back about seven years now, maybe eight. I'm not sure where the line is. I mostly played in Will's Games, actually, who is also on this call, when I'm a player. I've played in some offshoot, one-shot stuff with people I've invited to my tables, but if I'm not in Will's Game, mostly I'm running my own table these days. Got some actual play experience with a couple of shows, so I know we're going to talk about a couple of those things later, so get into yeah.
0: it. Yeah, and I believe Will introduced you, right, initially? To Dungeons & Dragons, Yes. And yeah, last but not least, Will, go ahead and introduce
2: yourself as well and tell us about your role-playing game backstory. My name is William Stark. I am also one of the hosts of The Dungeon Cast. And I've been playing Dungeons and & Dragons and tabletop RPGs for, I think, about 14 years now. I think it was 2009, 2010 when I started. It's been a crazy ride, and now we're doing shows with it, and that's it's been a dream come true. But I honestly just got into it with a couple of old high school buddies, like fresh after high school. I'd never played anything like it. And it blew my mind, changed the way I saw gaming in general and changed the entire trajectory of my life. I think most people can say that they
0: feel like that, especially if they're on this show, right? Like, or any show, they're pretty big into it. Funny you mentioned gaming. As I got into, it was d d initially, I was like, wait a sec, every RPG, like Pokemon, like all of them are pulling elements from this exact framework. And it's just funny to like make all those connections later on. You're like, wait a second,
2: all of these have the same root you get into it later and then you look back at all those games that you loved you see the connections it's pretty great
0: well how did you get into running games for people then was that first game with your high school buddies running it or were you a player initially and then you kind of decided you wanted to run
2: stuff later on i was definitely a player initially and when i first got into it not only had i never really heard of dungeons and dragons or role-playing games let alone played them but there was not a plethora of online like um resources on the game like there is now there were no youtube yeah. channels over how to play and all that other stuff we were completely on our own and so the role play aspect of it was one of the last things that we got into we <laughs> were very much like metagamey like playing it like a video game and uh that was kind of the first year of my playing and i didn't get into dungeon mastering until about a year later and oh my first time dungeon mastering did not go well <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second i'm sure. How about you, Brian?
0: How soon after you started playing, did you say, Hey, I'm going to take a crack at this. And do you remember kind of how it went?
1: Oh, I think it only took like six or seven games or something like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Nice. We played like by monthly, I think. So we would, you know, once every couple of weeks. And, um, I think by like session seven or eight, we'll kind of handed the baton to me. Like, Hey, do you want to try this out for like a game? I was like, yeah, sure. And, um, that one shot turned into like a three shot. Cause, uh, that's uh, one of my biggest growing pains has been like pacing, I guess. Uh, and, yes. like We're planning and like wanting to do all the content and they're not willing to like let go what I prepped. That was pretty much it. Like it was three games in a row because it needed to be so I could finish what I had planned out. And yeah, I think it went okay.
0: It's funny. The guidelines are like six or seven encounters a day. And it's like you wouldn't even get through like a whole day, an adventuring day in, in like a normal three hour or whatever session, you know, especially with players being how they are. Yeah, pacing's tough. All right, so what you feel like are some of the big mistakes or hangups or issues that have happened in games that you've been running and what the lessons you took away from those are and maybe what you can share with us so we don't make the same mistakes you did. So we'll start with Brian. Anything stick out while you were thinking about these questions that you want to share with us? The first
1: time I ever killed a character, it was completely completely on accident. And it was because I didn't balance my combat properly. I one shot this guy and could have potentially one shot every single player at the table. Yeah, I didn't think there would be like an enticing combat the way there ended up being. So there's that in my corner. But when the potential was definitely there and it did happen, I clawed someone to death in one shot and um, everyone just kind of looked at each other like, oh, no, I made like a barrier that once you escaped, you didn't have to fight. And this dude got trapped inside the barrier and everyone else. But for him and he just died alone <laughs> no one could go and <laughs> save him because they, they would die <laughs> i was like oh man like i think we're just gonna erase this one from the history books and i'm just gonna call this one a loss on my part and like plop you back down because that was pretty unfair Or like able to sort of jokingly be like yeah you died <laughs> it's fine though that was definitely like ah, oh, definitely should not have done that it was like a big shock at the table kind of threw off the vibe a little bit but a big a learning experience for me for sure
0: you know, if it was like a movie or a book or anything else, that would be like kind of a cool pivotal moment. But with games, it's always just kind of like, oops, I <laughs> didn't mean to do that.
2: That's a good one, though. Good lessons to be learned there. How about you, Will? The one that jumps out to me, even though it's got it of so long ago, it was it was during my first successful long-term campaign, even though we still never ended up ending it. But it lasted about a year and a half. But I had this idea where I wanted the big bad to show up about mid-campaign. I tried to set up like all the little telltale signs and the legends and really build this entity up. And my idea was when they showed up, it was going to be a fight, and it was going to be a fight that there was no way they were going to win. But I had this plan of how they were going to survive afterwards. And so they fought it, and they they weren't able even to hit this thing's AC, which in 4th edition is not very uncommon if you're fighting an overpowered monster, which this was in 4th edition. Only one hit landed because it was a crit and it felt like a slog to me on the dm side it didn't feel as epic as as i had planned in my head and when i talked to the players afterwards you know just open table discussion they all felt that it was kind of like a, uh like we can't hit the, the ac like what's the point of this we're just going through the motions like even though like it was supposed to be this intense situation from the outside players perspective it just was kind of a bummer and that was not my intent and i've never even attempted that Concept ever again because it just really backfired and it didn't play out the way that I wanted.
0: It's always like balancing, pacing, you know, these are all like things that pop up, especially earlier in your experiences, right? And it's kind of hard to like tell someone how to just fix it. Like, you know, if you don't want this to happen, then do that. But I guess it's just good to know like everyone has done something like this. Everyone has accidentally killed a player and been like, okay, sorry, let's retcon that. Or everybody has like had a, a fight that was way too overpowered and just didn't feel good or satisfying and has has kind of learned from it. So it, it's I think it's just good to, to know that we're all in this together, right? On the other side of things then, how about some really fun or interesting or, or rewarding moments that
2: have come from your games? Funnily enough, one of the ones that comes up is the other side of the coin of what we were just talking about, like overpowered adventures. During one of our actual play campaigns, there was... For the first half of the campaign, like these players, Brian included, were just mopping the floor with all the enemies. It just didn't seem like it mattered what I threw at them. They they could handle it handily. And um, I wanted to put them in a situation where I could show them that the galaxy really was a dangerous place. Mm -hmm. And them up against a, a bunch of bounty hunters. I really dialed it in to make it as tough as possible without it being too tough, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, it was a fight that they barely scraped out of. And the way they did it, too, there was like escapes to a spaceship involved. There was blasters. There's all kinds of creative ways to get out of the terrible situation they were in. And when they were done, they won the battle handily. It changed the way they approached fights for like the next two seasons or whatever of the game, which was very satisfying to me as a dungeon master. And it was very dramatic. And the audience was super into how it played out, too. So it was very rewarding.
0: When you put in a ton of time to something and it goes how you expect it to, that's always a good feeling. <laughs> it's not common, but as a DM, yeah, it definitely feels good when it happens. Brian, what do you have for us?
1: The timeline is a little funny because I recorded an actual play game for our Patreon in like okay. 2017 and 18 and 19 is the span of how long the game lasted. It's now airing on one of our feeds on the top of the bones of Super Quest Saga, which was the game we was just talking about. Called Flashbang and the Surgeon. It's like a Batman the animated series inspired series of adventures with like original heroes. They have like a like a driver that drives them around. Um, we play in Waterdeep. They're superheroes, like uh, Waterdeep is Gotham City in this campaign. But I wanted something creative and cool to come from the carts, and I was like, Oh, what if you customize it? We'll call it Pip My Cart, <laughs> like get My Ride. So, for, like, I think for the rest of the games we played, I kept, like, this Excel spreadsheet with, like, all the adjustments they had made to customize their cart. And it kind of mattered, like, you know, your carts are physical objects with an AC and HP and stuff like that. So, they were doing things to, like, bolster its defenses and, like, make it so they could, like, have a removable bottom that was hidden like, leather seats or, like, whatever it is that they needed for it. They did, like, so (laughs) many weird things. They did, like, a lot of bonkers stuff to it. That was, like, very custom. But, like, it's airing to public right now. So if people want to go check it out, game by game, They can
0: nice. Yeah. That, that's pretty fun too. I could see how the removable bottom would come in handy, right? Like in every movie where they like sneak through the bottom, through the, the sewer or whatever, you know, I'm sure that happens, right? Yeah. Exactly
1: why they did it. They wanted amazing thing they'd seen in the movies. And like, re- they literally <laughs> used it to remove the bottom of the cart, remove a manhole and like, send somebody down there to go like finish the mission or whatever. It was great. Nice. That's fun.
0: Brian, in your time running games, have you created any homebrew rules or adopted any homebrew rules that you've heard other people use or seen other people use that you feel like add to the games, you know, make it more fun, that kind of thing?
1: You know, I'm not a stranger to like improv a rule to fit the scenario. I think like adding things that fit that niche situation, make the story better as a whole, and it's okay to sort of like circumvent the rules from time to time. You know, i play around with a lot of crit rules but my favorite thing has been uh hiding the death saves from my players and keeping them secret and having the like explaining the what's going on with their wounds or their state their medical state or whatever with the result of the role so that they can know like uh, story-wise like how things are going but don't give them that number like oh i don't know he's not doing so great or like he's stable he looks ma- like he might be state you know give him like these weird hints like how things might be going and maybe add a perception check to see if anybody actually cares, you know, to, to go <laughs> to the person and, like, see if they need to heal. Because a lot of players, you know, they'll hear the numbers that get rolled. You know, you hit the nat one and go down two saves, and then it's like, okay, now the cleric's going to heal. That's kind of not as much in the realm of realism, and, like, it makes the situation a lot scarier for everybody. The player doesn't know what to do. They're just kind of sitting on pins and needles. The other players at the table are like, well, is he going to die? Like, we don't know. And then they have to go check on him if they want to know, like they actually would in the situation in the real world.
0: I love it. And I do it too for that exact same reason. Like, I feel like you could make an argument that it's a little metagamey for everybody else to know, you know, what they're at. And so it's always fun to like walk over and like, all right, like show me your role. Or, you know, if you're doing it online, like have them send it to you privately. Just amps up the tension.
1: Yeah, it adds a lot to the game. I love it. I'm the one rolling that for sure. Like, oh, you roll it? Yeah, I'm not letting anybody see. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to make a death save for you. You, know, you let the players see what they roll. Oh, no, like, know. <laughs> cause I don't want them to give it away. Like they're just going to be sitting there nervous. Like they could easily with like a show of expression be like, somebody save me. You know, like that's not what I'm looking for here.
0: Fair. Fair. Yeah. I guess it depends on, on how good a poker faces they have or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other level than, than what I'm used to, but maybe I'm going to start doing that too. I'll try it and, and see what I think. <laughs> I like it. Cool. All right,
2: Will, what about you? I'm not a big fan of 5e crits. I just feel like the fact that there's this possibility that you'll roll a critical hit and then two bad weapon die rolls, and it just was a very, very sorry hit, and it didn't feel like anything special happened at all. I really don't like that. So one of the things that I like to do is, the rule is, if you roll a crit, you automatically do the max damage of your weapon, and then you get one extra weapon die roll on top of it. So no matter what Mm -hmm. you do, at least half of what you would have gotten that max with fifth edition that makes sense because in fifth edition there's that possibility of doing double damage although that almost never happens in this rather yeah. it going from extremely low damage to that double damage we've now closed the window and you're going to do at least half of it and then maybe close that gap towards the double damage
0: definitely feels better than like you said like if you're rolling a great axe and you get two ones there's nothing worse
2: you know no. it's just
0: all that adrenaline from the nat 20 and then it's like and, you know, poke or whatever, just, it's, it's no fun. And now a word from How Not To DM sponsors. First up, RPG Match. RPGmatch.org is a site dedicated to helping you get matched up with tabletop role-playing game players who like to play like you do. You can select games you're interested in playing, customize your preferred play style, and find dozens of folks to fill up your table. RPGmatch.org, don't roll the dice on who you play with. Signing up for RPGmatch.org is 100% free, and you can head down to the show notes right now and click on a link which will allow you to add the How Not to DM badge to your profile. That way you can find other fans and listeners of the show and trust them that much more. Check it out. Also, a quick shout out to Episodify, the people who helped me produce this show. If you are looking for someone to help you edit your YouTube content, TikTok content, reels, shorts podcasts whatever it might be episodeify is ready to help you out they have packages for people who need more or less editing hours during each month and if you buy more then you can save more on the editing hours you buy so if you're a content creator who needs a little extra help or you've started making some money and you're ready to take that editing burden off your lap then check out episodeify.com Thanks so much for listening to the words from all of those sponsors. The sponsors help keep the show running, keep the lights on. Now, let's jump into to Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos. This week on Quickfire Chaos, Will and Brian and I are going to roll on some D100 tables to create a random scenario to roleplay together. Will has agreed to be the DM and Brian's going to be a a player with me, so let's jump into it, Will. First of all, are you more interested in like a city scenario or a fetch quest scenario that you're going to send us on? Let's do fetch quests. So let's get that first D100 roll on this fetch quest table and see what you're getting us to go fetch for you. 73. You uh, are in need of a bag of devouring for who knows what reason. Okay. Next up, the NPC. First off, we'll start with a personality trait of the NPC. You got it. We're looking at
2: 86.
0: Predictable, easily seen through and accessible, where most anyone can predict reactions and actions of said person by having met or known them even a short time. So you're, you're a pretty predictable
2: person. The next one is NPC voice all zeros. That's 100, isn't it? Never rolled a 100 on a D 100 before in my life. Really? That was my first time. Hey, (laughs) wow. Sounds like they're about to fall asleep. Oh God. Okay.
0: (laughs) And last but not least their occupation, where we might find them, what they might be doing, that kind of thing. So 32 cartographer. So uh, a sleepy cartographer, who needs a bag of devouring, and they are quite predictable. So, Brian, what kind of character are you you thinking of playing?
1: Interesting. I kind of thought we were going to roll on a D100 table for that, but I'm down to improv one. We could. Oh, if you have one, sure. If not, I can can whip something up.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're doing it. Okay, what's your D100 roll, Brian? A 37. A superstitious tattooed mage who does not cast magic, but rather prays for lucky favors. There you go. You're a tattooed mage who prays a lot. For luck. Cool. All right. Here's mine. 75. A bard who sings out of tune. All right. Eh, There it
1: is. Easy.
0: That's a good one. (laughs) All right, Will. We are ready when you
2: are. Set the scene for us. Tell us what's going on. So the two of you stand at the bottom of a foothill beneath the Sanctus Mons Mountains. And at the top of the foothill, you see a lone log cabin with a single stream of smoke um, filtering up out of its makeshift chimney. The note that you got back in the city, hiring for an obscene amount of gold, has cryptically led you here. And one of you, whichever of the two of you, has the highest perception on these character sheets we don't have.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> a small... Halfling or gnomish man, it's hard to tell at this distance, sitting in his rocking chair smoking a pipe. What do you saying? Out
0: on the front porch.
2: Out on the front porch. Cool.
1: Derek, who's your guy again? Remind me.
0: Uh, a bard who sings out of tune.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, all right. <laughs> Tattooed mage that praise yeah. wants luck to happen. You're actually, yeah. Uh, seems like. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused. Um... <laughs> Uh, what's your name, Eric? Uh, I will be Rick. Rick the Bard. Rick the Bard. I'll be Carvis. Okay.
2: <laughs> Rick and Carvis. So,
0: so, yeah, I'll probably just look over at you and say, I think, think that's the guy who, who hired us.
1: Uh, only luck will tell, Rick. Only luck will tell. I will say this prayer. I have my lucky coin. I'll put it on the ground and I'll spin it. If the hand of the coin points to the man on the porch, then we will go. If not, we will search elsewhere. Yes, agreeable? I'm doing it. Sounds
0: good. Let me <laughs> play some, some music.
1: Yeah. Yes, it's definitely him.
0: <laughs> I guess we better approach then.
1: Sure. let go walk away. Let's go talk to him. Got- Thank you, Goddess tomorrow for your sign.
0: You know... Uh, it- i haven't said anything about it but but one of these days you're gonna have to make some decisions on your own and uh, i look forward to that day but you know you, you keep doing what you got to do
1: i think i think i think not maybe one day uh you'll sing a song that doesn't make my ears bleed <laughs> Well, uh, that's a low blow you know that come on carvis uh, i'm sorry sorry i should be more <laughs> really be more agreeable um would you like to speak to the gentleman or or should i i, I clearly have a low charisma uh I'm a. I'm
0: gonna take this one, and and you can you know chime in a, as you see fit. How about that?
1: Sure, sure, sure. I okay. pray that your encounter with this gentleman goes well. Me
0: too. Or, Me too.
1: Uh, with any luck it will. With any luck it will. Please. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm already like walking up the hill. Like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, all
2: right. Yeah. We're we're approaching the cabin. You approach the cabin, and. As you approach, you realize that the, the individual who is definitely a gnome with a long white wispy beard and like very upright, kind of like pointed almost like in two horn looking tufts, white wispy hair, appears to be asleep in the rocking chair.
0: Oh, I might start whistling uh, as, as I'm getting closer just to make sure that he knows we're here. Uh, it's obviously a terrible, out-of-tune whistle, but, uh, you know, start start whistling tunelessly to, to see if he'll wake up before we get there so we don't startle him.
1: Hey, Rick! Rick, I think he's asleep. With any luck, he'll wake up. <laughs> he immediately picked <woke> up. What? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs>
0: uh, you around here? Yeah. Oh. I, I'm kind of like, do thank a little, little bow. What what did you do? I said, thank you, goddess. Because I woke oh. up. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> yes, uh, kind sir. Uh, I'm going to show him the note. Uh, we, we acquired this in town and, and we saw that uh, there was someone needed a job doing in the directions that pointed us in, in uh, your direction. So uh, we were wondering if, if this is uh, your posting and if we can help you with anything. No
2: one followed you too, did they?
1: Uh, I followed Rick. He knew the way here. Yeah. Did, yeah, did right. we get
0: followed at all, Corvus? Did you see anybody? I didn't see anybody.
1: Uh, no, it's it's probably. Uh, I'm not. I'm not positive, but I don't I think so.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> uh, yes,
2: we were not followed. Well, oh, yes, excellent, excellent. <clears throat> the mission that I'm hiring the two of you to do must be kept top secret. No one can know. No one can know that you came here. the forest to the south there lies a cave the rumor is is there's mythical treasure in that cave there's a bag of devouring and I need that bag of devouring so I need you boys to go get that bag of devouring for me and get all that gold I told you about
0: Uh, sorry uh, you said a a bag of devouring of devouring hmm I I ain't never heard of nothing like that Corvus you're you're more of a magical type you ever heard of a bag of devouring uh, yes, it's Carvis, and I have it. Carvis
1: things. It eats things.
0: Be smart. Keep him around. Uh, it eats things. Uh, is this like if you poke it? You know, it, like if we touch it, is it going to try to eat us?
2: Look, I don't want to get into details. All I gotta say is, don't put your hand in the bag. Uh, okay, don't put your hand in the bag.
1: Into the bag, or don't let the bag put your hand in it.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, I think I'm getting it. Uh, maybe we need a long stick to pick this thing up. Uh, listen, Carvis, I'm gonna kind of like, like motion over and kind of huddle in with him. Carvis. <laughs> okay. What what you, what you thinking about this? Does this sound like a good idea to you? I have always wanted to be rich. Yeah, think of all the coins you could flip once we get this much gold. I trust me, trust me, Rick.
1: I'm thinking about it. <laughs>
0: Mm-mm. All right, all right, sir. Uh, what was your name again?
1: I swear they were here with the. I found him like this. What? <laughs> uh, I'll go put a, um, a piece of copper on his rocking chair arm. Thank you for your kindness. We're gonna go get that bag, we're gonna secure that bag, and then we're gonna secure the real bag. <laughs> and I wink at him. Just remember the space between the two of us. I mean, three of us. Yep, just the. Just the three of us.
2: And whatever you do, <laughs> stay away from that barn over there. Don't the, go looking inside.
1: It's the no bag reason. of devouring in the barn. No. No. It is not. And I'm not concerned be, with the barn. Right why now. even mention it? Not sure why you mentioned it. Some have called me old predictable Bill. Okay, Bill. <laughs> have they now? <laughs> Never mind. I don't care. I want I, I want money.
0: Uh yeah, uh, this is getting more suspicious by the minute. But I suppose if we don't ask any questions, then we have plausible deniability. All right, Carvus, let's let's
1: go get ourselves this bag. Hang on, Rick. I'm kind of interested to see what other kind of off the wall this guy said If <laughs> we keep hanging around for too long, hey, I, I think
0: I think he's full of him. I think, yeah, he's. Oh boy, Wait, uh, up.
1: no murder, whatever. What are you talking about? Okay, yeah, <laughs> no. Let's go. You're right.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh. Think. I think this might be something we. We come to regret later on but you know uh with, with any luck we, it won't follow us around uh all right let's go all right you guys venture off into the forest and
2: have quite the whirlwind adventure <laughs> yeah, i bet we do <laughs> aiding a serial killer <laughs> cast any magic it'll be great that's fun guys
0: that's an interesting concept not casting any magic like just hoping that luck provides the way. With I, any luck, they'll I, light themselves on fire and die. You know, like
1: yeah, if I pray hard enough, the magic just comes out because I'm a sorcerer, right?
0: Yeah. That's kind of a fun way to flavor it.
1: Yeah, that's why I believe <laughs> <laughs> I like it.
0: <laughs> cool. All right. Well done, Will. I didn't know which way you'd take it. I think you did great. And uh, you. you did great too, Brian. You know did.
1: And so yeah. did you cool.
0: Okay, now we're gonna transition kind of more into your content, your publishing, all of that good stuff. So let's start with Will. Tell us a little bit about the Dungeon Cast, how it got started, where the idea came from, and maybe how it is going.
2: The Dungeon Cast was was mine and Brian's idea. We we actually used to work together in the same location. The type of work we did kind of just put us together alone for like eight, nine hours a night. And uh, mm. I think within like a week or two of, of getting to know Brian, like we, we had a lot in common, just a lot of similar interests. I then, as I am now, and as I was for the last 14 years, have just been super into Dungeons and Dragons. Whenever I meet someone who I think might be into it, I always like tell them all about it, trying to get them to get involved into a game. And and this is what happened. Yeah. It was amazing because not only was I introducing him to a game I knew he'd love, but like him and the people that he brought to that game were all just so perfect for the game. We had such a good time and we ended up starting a campaign. It was it was a blast. Might actually like to revisit that campaign one of these days because we never did get to finish it. I think it was maybe a couple months into the campaign, you know, we we would talk about the game at work. Every day at work there was a period of time where we were with, like, a, a larger group of co-workers, and they would always overhear us talking about the game and, and all the crazy things that happen because the dragons and crazy stuff happens. And uh, they would always be really interested and laugh a lot at this, the wild exploits. And I think simultaneously at the time, me and Brian were also really getting into podcasts. Mm-hmm. And Brian has a audio engineering degree and had the equipment at the time. And we just decided like, hey, why don't we turn what we're doing here into the show? Where a lot of times I'd be explaining things about D&D because he was new to the game at the time. And a lot of humor and a lot of interesting takes come out of that. And that was the impetus of the show. And we've been running with it ever since.
0: Yeah, for those unfamiliar with the dungeon cast, Will, you're very much the explain how things are. And Brian, you're very much the, this reminds me of this and, or, you know, here's here's a, a good joke I just thought of. Uh, and it, it, the dynamic just works, you know?
1: Yeah, it is my job on the show to like remain ignorant and sort of be the question <laughs> asker. And like, I like to do improv and like, you know, add my two cents, do a joke or like, I don't know. I'm always the kind of person that likes to learn things by relating them to other things. Like I could learn through metaphors. Mm. I just sort of bring that along, try to ask questions that maybe somebody without a lot of knowledge or experience might ask. That's pretty much like I choose to maintain, like I, I don't like to read about upcoming topics and things like that so that I can be more organic in my presentation of that. I am sort of playing into a role there, but mm-hmm. trying to bring a lot of myself to that as well.
0: You've been running the show for a, a long time now. Where do you find the new material and topics that you're going to think of? I know you've kind of, for a while been theming the seasons, uh, you know, each year we'll kind of have a theme. But yeah, you know, how do you two decide on what you're going to talk about next? And where do you keep coming up with new ideas? D&D and the hobby itself
2: makes it easy. There's just there's just no end to the ideas. And honestly, even, you know, we pick a topic every episode and I usually will come up with the topics I want to talk about, like six months in advance, just because mm. for me to to just check a schedule and be like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about this this time. But um even topics that we cover, like there's always stuff to revisit. There's always stuff to come back to. And hey, we didn't even talk about this. But yeah, theming the years really helps give the year some structure. And this one's been a fun one. We're doing uh artifacts and magic items is like our specialty this year. So every month we're doing at least one, maybe more episode where we're diving into the lore and stats and ways to use different artifacts and stuff. And it's it's been a lot of fun.
0: I like the years or the season structure as well because, like you said, it's easy to relate back to previous specific beings you've talked about, you know, last year or uh, artifacts or, or whatever it might be. So it kind of helps. It's not like you have to listen to every episode in order, but if you do, then, you know, it kind of rewards that continuity by knowing, Oh, they're referring to this thing or, or that thing. And, you know, realizing how it's all connected. Yeah.
2: We, we reference our
1: really bad jokes from
2: like three years ago. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> that's, that too. That's, um, that's been coming year. up so
1: much lately. too. It's, it's funny. Uh, it <laughs> does <laughs> reward you to listen to the show in order, but, there's no reason people can't jump in at the most recent episode. And like, you know, um, we are doing some skits lately that require some continuity. I'm trying to find a way around that. We just like to be a little bit repetitive. They're very, very short. They're in our break segment. It's um, a lot of fun to do like improv for me. So I wanted to add something like that to the show. I've done it a few times before. Watching the show in order does give you a little bit of a like an extra Easter eggs along the way. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Brian, how long into running the show then did you decide uh, with, well, hey, you know what? We should try to start like writing stuff and making, you know, shows out of the, out of the stuff that we're thinking about and talking about. Uh, for instance, your Kickstarter project, Starseeker's Guide to Star. You know, where did that idea come from? You know, how did you transition from, we're going to do this podcast to like, let's spend a bunch of time and effort to like write this whole thing and do this big crowdfunding campaign.
1: I would love to talk about it a whole bunch, but it's actually Will has been spearheading almost the entirety of the project these days. So I think I was involved more in like the meetings and like the conceptualization of some things at the beginning, but it really has just been Will taking it on. I know the idea got started because we completed our first actual play campaign that Will DM'd. He'd already poured a ton of time and resources into writing for that campaign setting. So to carry it on to be a setting book afterwards seemed sort of like a natural next step. There were a fairly large amount of vocal people asking for it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hand it off to Will from there. Yeah, I
2: mean, you said it. Yeah, Super Quest Saga had
1: such a wonderful
2: audience, and it was a it was a fantastic experience. I think for everybody, an emotional one for all of us when it ended. I wasn't sure if I was actually going to try my hand at writing anything because I've never written anything in an official capacity like that. But uh, I decided to listen to the audience and. and put out a Kickstarter and see where it went and it got funded. And so now I've been working on turning the galaxy and the universe that we ran that three and a half year campaign in and turn it into a usable, functional campaign setting and source book. And my goal is to make a book that blends high fantasy with science fiction and space opera and Mm -hmm. for the book to give and have something for every player, whether it's a dungeon master or just a player or someone playing in a completely different setting. I wanted there to be tools and things that could be utilized no matter what game you're playing.
0: What's been kind of the most fun and rewarding part of like writing this and and creating this from scratch? And then what's maybe been the part that's most difficult or not as fun as you expected it to be?
2: The most fun, I would say there's two things. There's number one, getting to just write lore and build a continuity and interconnect and fill in the blank spaces of this galaxy that you know we we spent so much time in and not having that deadline of i gotta get enough get this ready for the next game kind of explore the space at my own speed and in whatever direction i choose has been really rewarding as well as learning what it takes to write a book which you know i've learned a lot since i started this the other part that's been really rewarding was The amount of fun I've been having building new systems that I've been tacking on to 5e, which really there's only been two, but I've developed two modular systems that you could tack onto your 5th edition game to make combat a little bit more interesting and to make magic item customization not only possible, but really robust. It's very different from writing prose, but I Mm. I have a knack for it and it's been a lot of fun. You mentioned
0: that Starseeker's Guide is kind of based on your actual play superquest saga. So tell us a little bit about that, where that came from, that idea, and, and what it was like to create your own actual play after having been doing more of a chat show like the Dungeon Cast is.
1: I'll probably baton pass to Will once again, but was involved in like the very beginning of the show's conceptualization. Well not the very beginning, when it was brought to the table, I think it was brought to me first by Will. And we had tried to run a campaign previous to that it into an actual play and kind of complete the recording beforehand but a lot of things sort of didn't go as we expected it was a big learning curve turns out and there were a lot of things that we had misstepped on that we wanted to start fresh with i think we just needed a breath of fresh air let's let's scrap this other project move away from it and then will kind of brought this other thing to the table that he'd been working on getting a rhythm down for it we basically just kept the same sort of structure workflow wise as we do with the dungeon cast which is will brings the material to the show and presents it i sit in on the recording and improv or do whatever it is i'm there to do and then he hands everything like as we record everything gets handed off to me and i'll do the post production for the show and and get it you know we worked in tandem in that way he would finish his side pass it off to me and that's been working really well for a long time so Having that that rhythm down, I think it, it's hard for one person to take on everything all at once. You got a dungeon master and produce a show at the same time. That's a lot.
0: Yeah. Every actual play I know that has any kind of longevity has some kind of division of labor like you're talking about where other people will help pitch in on other stuff because prepping and then editing everything sounds like a
2: nightmare. <laughs> so and there's some people who do it, but ugh. also Brian's selling himself short. He also composed all the music for the entire campaign. And it's a great collection of music.
1: That was fun to do. I think I wrote like over 30 original songs, whether it was like something I produced from scratch or, you know, I was using like Apple loops for a lot of stuff and sort of like tweaking it and arranging it in a way that sounded like original, you know, their original compositions, no matter which way you slice it. It was taxing, (laughs) definitely, because where that burden of not having to prep a session left a hole for me to do this other creative thing, and also uh will kind of voiced it when he was talking about writing for stark seekers guide to dragon star but he has a component in there that is supposed to kind of spice up combat for 5e that's my biggest complaint about 5e is how the combat drags especially when you're doing an actual play so i took it upon myself to have at least some music in the background while people are like kind of decision making and stuff like that or like kind of yeah. working out what the battle looks like it, you know something to give it a little more um a drama and spice how you would play out like a final fantasy combat like a boss that same like five minute track is just going to loop in the background a bunch of times so it's fun making a music like that that could like sustain
0: that is fun all right as far as future projects that you guys are working on brian anything you can share with us that you guys have coming down
1: the pipeline we do have a couple things in the works we're actually my role right now is to i feel like produce what we already have at like a higher quality. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, adding to it what we can without taking anything away. Like like I mentioned, we're doing some skit work on the dungeon cast these days in our breaks. That's been really rewarding to do. I, I like adding, you know, they're they're pretty much completely improv. <laughs> we we write down a couple bullet points to play with and then we just sort of go for it. I mentioned earlier, FBATs, Flashbang and the Surgeon. That's the superhero campaign. It's like a comedy game. It's me and my two buddies that we did for our Patreon. We're releasing that to the public now. It holds up. The audio quality is rough in the beginning because I'm learning. Then it picks up pretty much by the 10th session In the audio quality is up to what our standard is today. And it's still pretty listenable. I haven't heard any like open complaints about it. It is it is what it is. It's like there's air conditioner running in the background and I had a newborn in my house <laughs> and I didn't have a good place to record. So you can kind of like, I try to cut a lot of that stuff out, but sometimes you just can't. So you hear the, the sounds of home, I guess, is a good way to put it for the first few episodes. But then we end up getting a recording space that's more dedicated and has a lot less noise. And I'm able to up the audio quality from there as a result and do a lot of things I wasn't able to do in the past, like raising the volume up to where it should be and stuff like that. So, yeah, I really do encourage people to give it a listen. It's airing biweekly right now on the Super Quest Saga feed, but it's now taken over as Flashman and the Surgeon. Yeah, all the episodes are based off of Batman, the animated series episodes from the 90s. I just reworked them into a D&D session. Like a, a, it's like a big continuation of one shots, pretty much. So there's breaks in between. like There would be unknown amounts of time in between episodes of Batman. And my players are just amazing. Like We have a really great chemistry between the three of us that I think people really enjoy. we would known each other for like decades at this point. So it was just natural for us to do this sort of thing and all the improv. It's really good. You want to talk about Unhallowed? Yeah,
2: I think that's probably the biggest project that we're working on right now. And gosh, does it feel daunting? Besides the book, that's that's bigger. But um, <laughs> yeah, we're in the works on a an actual play. It's DD y mm-hmm. Gothic Dark Fantasy Adventure called Unhallowed, which is basically taking uh, major flavors from from things like Dark Souls and Castlevania and stuff like that. And we are doing a full production. We're going to have voice acting bring players back in to redo lines if if we want a cleaner take we're going to do full composition like sweeping dark fantasy sounding compositions sound effects the whole the whole shebang and we are currently about to record episodes 11 and 12 of season one which is looking like it's going to be an 18 to 20 episode season and i'm really excited for people to hear it i'm having a blast dungeon mastering it and it's been another learning experience because it's a very grim, dark, brutal campaign, which is not Mm -hmm. something we run. I'm usually a much more generous and and loving Dungeon Master. (laughs) Forgiving. Forgiving,
0: yes.
2: (laughs) You could be just the right amount of cruel, and I think it's working out pretty well. Brian is playing a a bard in this campaign, and he's doing a fantastic job, and all the players are. I'm really excited for it to get done. I just ask that people be patient because we're working really hard and we want to get it right. It is funny, like, I'm uh, a lot like you will
0: in that I haven't really done any kind of grimdark type stuff yet, but I feel like it would be good for me to at least stretch myself and try it and you know, see if there's things from it that I like. So yeah, props to going out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, I'd love to know words of advice you have for people out there who are running games or thinking about creating their own
2: content, whether
0: it be actual plays or podcasts or game design, that kind of thing.
2: As dungeon Masters, don't be afraid. Just get in there. Get your feet wet. You're going to make a ton of mistakes, and you're going to get a lot better as, as time goes on. And the best way you can get better is to listen to your players and to talk to your players about the game. Be very open about it, and remember that you're all there to have fun. And that means communication and having fun together. That would be my main word of advice for just playing the game and having a good time. For content creators, I would say two things. Number one, make sure that the thing you're doing is something that you yourself would want to consume or watch that way it stays something that you love. I don't think the dungeon cast would last it even half as long if it wasn't literally something I loved and every time me and Brian get together and record we are usually laughing to the point of crying in a lot of, a lot of sessions. And then the other thing is never stop trying to make it better. It can always be better and there should always be something you are motivated to push towards that way you don't lose motivation and and you know just kind of resting your laurels.
1: Yeah, that that keep moving forward mentality that's good stuff. I guess my advice can kind of be grouped for both. I really encourage people in this particular hobby to be passionate. There's a lot of passionate people in the game and let that passion guide your ability to have fun. That passion is going to show up in all kinds of places. Your attention to detail, the amount of work that you put into your games and the things that you bring to them. If you care about them, it's going to show up in your product and your players are going to notice it. Your audience is going to notice it. They're going to notice you being passionate and caring about the thing that you do. Or, at least, being like excited or something like that, you know, bring that to the things that you do, guide it, don't let it run wild, like funnel it into something that is going to serve what you're doing in the moment.
0: Awesome. All right. Thank you both so much for jumping on and joining me. Note to the listeners before we started, I had some issues with Zencaster. And so, Brian and Will offered to record on their normal recording software and, and send all the files to me. So, that's awesome. That's something you find in not a lot of other places where people are just willing to. Go out of their way to help you out so yeah thanks guys for that but uh yeah thanks so much for coming on for sharing your stories for sharing your ideas and for just uh yeah having a great time with me
2: yeah thanks for having us man it was a good time yeah always a pleasure thank you
0: thank you for listening to how not to dm Now, for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Riley, the Bunker Master of Friend and Foe Adventure Co., a Borderlands tabletop role-playing game, Actual Play.
1: I'm in high school, and my friend and I, big nerds, we used to do,
0: do you know what Shani are? I don't. They're like the bamboo practice. Okay, yeah. So we used to Shani fight. Uh Uh-huh. So we had, like, been Shani fighting, and it hurts. It hurts (laughs) pretty bad. Yeah. So, like... And we usually go until one of us can't go anymore, right? Like until somebody gets injured enough to like be like, "All right, we're done. We're done for the day." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we did. One, uh, I think I got hurt, and so I was like, "All right, let's call it." Like I don't want to. I, I can't take the pain anymore. Yeah. And he was like, "Do you want to play
2: Dungeons and Dragons?"
0: To hear more about Riley's journey into tabletop role playing games and his actual play show and board game discussion show, tune in next week.